Hosea. It's a it's a small book right after I believe the book of Ezekiel or Daniel, and uh, and you'll run right into the book of Hosea, chapter number four, and uh, we're going to continue our series uh, on this of Behold Your God, and we want to learn this morning a little bit more about who the God of the Bible is. And we've we've seen over these past few weeks that God is our Father, God's our Planner. Uh, God's our liberator. Uh, But uh, one thing that we want to learn this morning from the book of Hosea is that God is our judge. And Hosea chapter number four, we'll be reading verses one through verse number 11. Verse one through verse number 11 of Hosea chapter number four. It says, hear the word of the Lord, ye children of Israel. For the Lord hath a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. Because there is no truth, nor mercy, nor knowledge of God in the land. By swearing and lying and killing and stealing and committing adultery, they break out and blood toucheth blood. Therefore shall the land mourn, and everyone that dwelleth therein shall languish with the beasts of the field and with the fowls of heaven. Yea, the fishes of the sea also shall be taken away. Yet let no man strive nor reprove another, for thy people are as they that strive with the priest. Therefore shalt thou fall in the day, and the prophet also shall fall with thee in the night, and I will destroy thy mother. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee, that thou shalt be no priest to me, seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God, I will also forget thy children. As they were increased, so they sinned against me. Therefore will I change their glory into shame. They eat up the sin of my people. and They set their heart on their iniquity. And there shall be like people, like priests. And I will punish them for their ways and reward them for their doings. For they shall eat and have nothing and not have enough. They shall commit whoredom and shall not increase because they have left off to take heed to the Lord. Whoredom and wine and new wine take away the heart. Let's pray. Father, as we now come into this most important time in this service, the time in which we study your word, in which we learn what it is that your message is, I pray that you would, uh, Father, speak to our hearts uh, this morning. I pray that your message would be something that is clear, and something that is relevant and ready for us to not only understand, but to apply in our lives. Father, I pray that you would be with me, that you would fill me with your spirit, and help me, Father, to communicate the truth clearly this morning, but help me, Father, also to just say what it is that you would want me to say. I pray that if there's anything in this message uh, that does not need to be said, that, Father, you would hold my mouth and hold those words and not allow me to say them. But Father, may I just say what it is that you have laid on my heart and say what you want me to say. May your spirit now fill us. May your, uh, your spirit control this service and may we receive your word, understand it and apply it into our lives. And I ask this in Jesus name. Amen. But thou art strong Jesus keep me from all wrong 
satisfied as long as I walk, dear Lord, close to Thee. Just a closer walk with Thee. Granted, Jesus is my plea. Daily walking close to Thee. Let it be, dear Lord, let it be. Now, through this world of toil and snares, if I falter, Lord, who cares? Who with me my burden shares? None but Thee, dear Lord, none but Thee. Just a closer walk with Thee. Granted, Jesus is my plea. Daily walking close to Thee. Let it be, dear Lord, let it be. When my feet Life is o'er. Time for me will be no more. Guide me gently, safely o'er to thy kingdom shore, to thy shore. Just a closer walk with thee. Granted, Jesus is my plea. Daily walking close to Thee. Let it be, dear Lord, let it be. Let it be, dear Lord, let it be. a grave misconception that has permeated our churches today and really has permeated many of our Christian homes in the day and age in which we live. The misconception is something very simple, and it's this, that God is so merciful as to allow sin to go unpunished. God is so gracious as to accept that wrong behavior comes without any consequences. We live in a day and age in which it seems people's view of God is something of a kind, uh, passive God that really doesn't punish anyone. That he is so loving that uh, he would never think of uh, bringing down consequences on those that disobey him or on those that really don't follow him. The problem with that misconception is that that's not who God is at all. 
God is not someone that is passive and uncaring. He's not someone that is out of touch. He's not someone that really doesn't care how we behave and what we do and what we say. In fact, throughout scripture, you'll find that the Bible reminds us many times over and over again that there's just one life to live and that after this life is over, we will give an account. In fact, the Bible says it is appointed unto men once to die and after this, the judgment. In fact, in Ecclesiastes chapter number 12, it says, let us hear the conclusion of the matter. Fear God, for you know that after this life, when it is done, we will give an account to God for all that we've done, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Over and over, the Bible reminds us that God truly is our judge. You know, I was um, thinking about a story that I read not too long ago about an Easter Sunday. In fact, it was in uh, 2013. And I-77 that runs there through the border of North Carolina and Virginia, that, that interstate there had been shut down for many hours on that day. Uh, in fact, there was a pile up of cars that got in accidents. There was 95 cars and trucks that were in accidents that day at that particular part in, uh, in Interstate 77. Three people lost their lives. Dozens of other people were taken to the hospital and were in critical condition simply because that morning a thick fog had come right over on Interstate 77. The, the fog was so thick that the police report says that you couldn't see more than 100 feet in front of you. And many of these drivers, 95 cars, because of that fog, went right in. And instead of really slowing down and instead of really uh, realizing that they really couldn't go too fast because of how thick the fog was, they blindly went into that fog and just hit the person in front of them. And then the person in front of them hit the person in front of them. And this big pileup happened. You know, thinking about that story, I, I thought a little bit about what we're studying this morning, about God being a judge. You know, we have a lot of Christians today. We have a lot of churches today that are much like those people in I-77. They're just going blindly and thinking, well, this is how God is and, and God's not going to do anything to me. And they're forgetting the whole truth that God is the judge, that God is the one that we will all one day give an account to. So this morning's message is a little bit of a reminder of, to us that as we behold our God, and we said at the beginning of this series that to behold, that word means to perceive who God is, to, to see him for who he truly is. And we must see God as not only our liberator, because he is, and not only our healer and our planner, but also finding that God is also our judge. Now, here in the book of Hosea, that's really much of the message that he brings to the people of God. He brings us to the, to the point where he's telling the people, I want to remind you that God is your judge. Now, just to give you a little bit of context of who the prophet Hosea is and, and to just give you a little context of what's happening at this time, I want to remind you of a few things. The first thing is on the first uh, slide, the slide of the United Kingdom. And uh, maybe you can go to that slide real quick, Mom. I think it's the third slide. Uh, but the United Kingdom uh, there, you'll see it on your left-hand side, was the kingdom that God allowed King Saul, King David, and King Solomon to have. 
At the beginning of Israel's history, as they became uh, there a nation that had a king, the first king that God allowed them to have was King Saul. Uh, but because of King Saul's disobedience, he was taken from off the throne. And the throne was given to a man that was a man after God's own heart, a man by the name of David. And uh, King David was then established as the king. And after him was his son, King Solomon. And God blessed that kingdom. He had allowed them to expand beyond their borders. He gave them the land that he had promised them uh, from before. And since the time that the people were in Egypt, he had promised them the promised land. Land. And during the, the reign of King uh, David and Solomon, much of that land there was conquered and, and that kingdom grew. And, uh, and as you can see, the, the kingdom was at its, I guess, its peak during that time. But because of King Solomon's disobedience, God became, uh, be, brought uh, judgment to the people and, and, uh, and divided the kingdom. He told King Solomon because of his immorality, King Solomon had uh, 700 uh, concubines and 300 wives. Uh, because of that uh, character that he had, because of those decisions that he made in his personal life, God said, this does not please me. And God divided his kingdom, uh, divided Solomon's kingdom. And so after Solomon uh, passed away, his son who came to the throne was a, a man by the name of Rehoboam. And in that time, God raised another man by the name of Jeroboam to take the northern kingdom. And you can see on the graphic on the right that there is now two kingdoms when it came to Israel. There was a northern kingdom that was known simply as Israel. It was the northern 10 tribes of Israel. And then the southern kingdom, which was known as Judah, which had its capital there in Jerusalem. And, and that king was known as Jeroboam. And so the northern kingdom, the 10 tribes known as Israel, the southern kingdom, the two tribes known as Judah. And from then on until the captivity, there was always those two kingdoms. During that time, God would send prophets to the people. The priests had been so corrupted that you couldn't trust what the priests were teaching anymore. You couldn't follow where the priests were leading the people. And, and so now in this, uh, in this divided kingdom, you had prophets that God sent to tell them the word of God. Now, it got to a point when the, uh, the kingdom was first divided that that first king of the northern kingdom was a man by the name of Jeroboam. And King Jeroboam uh, was, was there appointed by God uh, as a judgment for what Solomon had done. And King Jeroboam was told by a prophet uh, that God had told him, Jeroboam, if you will just seek after me, Jeroboam, if you will just do what's right, I will establish you. I will help you in your kingdom. And yes, you can go to that next slide in that northern kingdom. And, uh, and Jeroboam decided that that's not what he wanted to do. In fact, he was so afraid that the people were going to go back to the kingdom of Judah and go back to the king uh, Rehoboam that he decided that it wasn't worth the risk to go back to Jerusalem where the temple was to worship. So Jeroboam had a plan. He said, you know what I'll do is I'll, I'll make my own capital here and we'll call it Samaria. And, and here I'll, I'll put a, a temple here and I'll put a calf a golden calf. And I'll tell the people, you know what, people, you can come and worship here. You don't need to go all the way down to Jerusalem to worship. You can come right up here. Now here's the catch. You say, well, I thought uh, the people of, of Israel, all of them, whether it's the north or south, I thought they all believed in God and they do. See what Jeroboam told them was, listen, you can worship God. You don't have to go to Jerusalem. You can just go here and we'll put an idol that represents God. 
So he wasn't saying, oh, you have to uh, worship a calf and that the cows are the ones that created you. No, he was saying, oh, that, that, that's Yahweh. That's God. That's, that is the Lord that, that brought us out of Egypt. And this is his image, the calf. And in that moment, Jeroboam began to bring idolatry into the people of Israel. Well, after him came quite a few lines of kings. And the next chart here will show you just how many kings there were in the, king, uh, in the kingdom of Israel, that northern kingdom. And you'll notice that of all the kings that Israel had, none of them were God-fearing people. None of them were a people that uh, were, were, were kings that wanted to do what's right. None of them were godly kings in any way. The best king that they had was a guy by the name of Jehu. Jehu was the, uh, a king that, uh, seeing the, the wickedness of the land, uh, after a few years of, of worshiping the calf, that wasn't good enough anymore. And, and some of the kings began to marry other people from other kingdoms and, and bring the idolatry uh, even more into that nation of Israel. So much so that they started worshiping a god by the name of Baal. Now, Baal, if you remember, if you know a little bit of your, uh, your uh, uh, history in your Bible, you'll know that Elijah was the one that was prophet, uh, a prophet against Baal. Uh, but Baal was the god of the thunder and rain. And that's why, by the way, that's why Elijah had to uh, make this challenge of let's see who answers by fire. Because Baal was that, that God that would, that would bring not only uh, that storm, but he could bring that lightning to bring that fire. And, and that's why he challenged those false prophets of Baal. But it was so rampant in the land that there were more than 400 priests worshiping Baal, leading the people in this idol worship. And, and Jehu, this uh, king came along and when he took the throne, he got away, he did away with all of those Baal worshipers. He killed every one of them and, and cleansed the land from any Baal worship. But here's the problem with Jehu. Though he did good in, in trying to rid the land of idolatry, Jehu did not rid the land of worshiping that calf. He still told the people, well, that's God. Remember the God that we worship, that, that's him and that is his image. And in the northern kingdom, though Jehu had done some good things in trying to eradicate Baal, he really didn't go all the way on the Lord's side. He really didn't commit himself to the ways of God. He just sort of stopped some of that evil and some of that uh, societal wrong that was happening. Well, God blessed him for doing what he did about the prophets of Baal. And he said, you know, I'm going to give you up to the fourth generation, Jehu, up to your great grandson. I'm going to let him come to the throne. So God blessed him and let his fourth grandson. And you'll see his, uh, his third grandson was a guy by the name of Jeroboam II. Under Jeroboam II, the kingdom of Israel prospered. It was like the high time for Israel. Uh, the kingdom was the best at that point. It was economically good, going well. Uh, the, the military was at its strongest. In fact, the kingdom has expanded more than, uh, more than Jehu had been able to expand it. The borders had been uh, 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 bigger and larger than before. God had given them victory over many of their enemies there in the north. So this is what's going on right now in the kingdom of Israel. They're at their peak. Jeroboam II is on their throne. Everything is going great. And then God sends this prophet by the name of Hosea. And he gives them this message. He said, you need to let those people of Israel know 
that their idol worship, their worshiping of their calf, the way they've perverted that worship of me has consequences. They're not going to be able to just do whatever they want without having the consequences of those decisions. Now, as you think about the context, now let's jump right back into Hosea chapter 4. Now Hosea is preaching to these people. And he wa- I want you to notice what he says here in verse number 1. He says, Hear the word of the Lord, ye children of Israel, for the Lord hath a controversy with the inhabitants of the land, because there is no truth, no mercy, nor knowledge of God in the land. I want you to notice the three things there, the three characteristics that Hosea is preaching against, that he's reminding the people about. He's saying, look at as I see, even though we have a lot of economic prosperity, and even though the kingdom is doing really well in the eyes of many people, let me tell you what I see. Let me tell you what God sees. And he says that there's, there's a lack of truth in our people. There's a lack of mercy with our people. There's a lack of knowledge with our people. And Hosea outlines what exactly it is that God as our judge judges us for. You'll notice that God wasn't really looking at how well and how prosperous the nation was. God was not judging to see what the population was. He wasn't trying to see what the average income was. He wasn't seeing if there was Baal worship or not anymore. God was looking at the people of Israel in the northern kingdom and he was saying, you know, I've noticed that there's no truth anymore. There's no mercy and there's no knowledge of God. And to explain this a little bit, he goes into verse number two and Hosea says, He says, by swearing and lying and killing and stealing and committing adultery, they break out and blood toucheth blood. I want you to notice that that first word that God judges, he says uh, uh, that there is no truth. That, That word truth there in the Hebrew is the word emet. It can be translated as faithfulness or integrity. Some, uh, if someone were to say, you're a man of emet, all right, they use that word in the Hebrew, it meant that you were someone that was, was faithful to your neighbor. In other words, you were someone that was trustworthy. You were true in your speech. You were someone that just said the way things are and didn't sugarcoat anything. You were, you were honesty. Uh, you were honest. You were a man of integrity. You were someone that was responsible, someone that was consistent in your life. That's what that word means. And Hosea was saying, listen, I want you to understand that as we look around in our society, as we look around in our kingdom, hey, people of Israel, we're lacking truth. You know what happens when you lack truth? One of the consequences that comes as a result, one of the judgments that God brings because of a lack of truth in the lives of people is this. Wickedness begins to increase and be manifested. Hosea said in verse number two, listen, I'm telling you, there's no truth. Why? Because look at the stealing and the lying and the killing and the committing of adultery and the swearing. Don't you see what is happening? Wickedness begins to increase. You know, a lack of truth in the life of a person will produce in that life the abundance of wrongdoing. The abundance of wickedness in the life of that person. 
Israel has allowed their society to grow cold and indifferent to the things of God. They were going to bring God's judgment upon them. They were going to allow wickedness to to, uh, permeate all of their societies. In fact, signs of this were already showing themselves in the behavior of their people. Hosea said, look around you. Look what's happening in your neighborhoods. Look, look what's happening in, in, uh, in what's going around in your, uh, in your workplaces. Let's look what's happening in our kingdom. There's nobody that wants truth anymore. In other words, there's no one that wants to be faithful to what God has said. There's no one that wants to be a, a, a man or a woman of character anymore. He said they're lacking truth. Man, I don't know about you, but when I look at the northern kingdom of Israel, kind of reminds me about what we see today. I'm not saying America is Israel. But what I am saying is that when there is a society of people that begin to turn their back on God, that begin to turn their back on the truth of God, then wickedness will begin to abound. Wickedness will increase. If you look at statistics, you'll be surprised that you can go back 40 and 50 years and 60 and 70 years and you don't hear a whole lot about shootings in schools. Uh, You don't hear a whole lot about gender neutrality. You don't hear a whole lot about homosexual marriage. But you fast forward to today and it seems like that message is all around. You get on social media, you get on Twitter, you listen to Hollywood, you listen to the news, and that's all that there is. I've made it a habit now. I can't hardly even watch the news anymore. You get really depressed. You just start hearing what's going on, what people are doing. You you hear about moms leaving their babies in trash cans. You, You hear about Uh, senseless murders. You hear about people that just uh, grab a gun and buy a gun and just go into a workplace like a, a, I don't know, a newsroom and just shoot people because he didn't like a story that was written about him. You see, we, we live in a time where we must realize, listen, God judges, judges the lack of truth in a society. But you know, God judges a lack of truth in families. We don't have to always just look at our nation to see that, but just look at what's happening to families today. Look at the divorce rate that's happening now. It's higher than it's ever been. Look what's happening to the family unit. More and more millennials are not getting married till later if they even get married. In fact, you know what's really on the rise isn't really marriage anymore. Now it's just sort of cohabitating is what they call it. In other words, living together without ever even committing to one another in a covenant of marriage. You know, why does that come around? Because there's a lack of truth. And when there is no truth, let me tell you something, wickedness abounds. Wickedness begins to increase and be manifested. And by the way, look at verse number three there, if you would, in Hosea chapter four, you'll see another characteristic of what happens. It says in verse number three, therefore shall the land mourn and everyone that dwelleth therein shall languish with the beasts of the field and with the fowls of heaven. Yea, the fishes of the sea also shall be taken away. I want you to notice that that sin affects the world around us. 
When there's a lack of truth, it affects everything. As is always the case, our sin always affects more than just ourselves. Hosea said, don't you understand because there's a lack of truth that we see the swearing and the lying and the killing and the committing of adultery. Don't you see that that's a result, a consequence, a judgment of the decision to uh, turn our back on God's truth. And, and don't you know that that will affect everything? He said, I, I know right now we're at the peak of the kingdom right now. I know we have all this ec uh, economic power. He said, but you'll see that when you begin to have no truth in your society, you'll see that God's blessing will be removed. You see, their economy was sustained by the fact that there was beasts in the field that they could eat and that there was rain coming so they could raise their, uh, their corn and all their crops and have uh, food to eat. And there was fish in the sea that they could go and catch and, and eat and, and have some sustainability that way. But Hosea says, you know, it won't be long before all that will be done away with. Your sin will cause all that to be done with. You see, sin or the lack of truth always affects those around us. Do you remember the story of Achan in Joshua chapter 7? Achan was a man that coveted a garment that was not his. And though God had said, you cannot keep anything from the, uh, the city of Jericho after you conquer it, Achan said, well, well, I want it. Achan saw that it was something nice and it was a nice uh, Babylonian garment and he saw the silver and the gold there and he said, listen, it won't be that bad. I'm not gonna keep a whole lot of it. I'm just gonna keep a little bit of it. And because of that decision in chapter seven and verse 24 and 25 in the book of Joshua, we find that not only Achan, but his whole family was put to death. You know, sin always affects those around us. A lack of having God's truth will increase the wickedness and it'll affect everything around us. But I want you to notice something else that God judges. God does not only judge uh, the lack of truth, but God also judges a lack of mercy a lack of mercy. The Hebrew word here is the word hesed, which can be translated love or compassion. It means to show kindness beyond the normal and required obligation. It's more than just being nice to people, in other words. Sometimes we can do that. We have charities in this country that are built for that. Places like the Salvation Army and the thrift store. And, and once you don't, you know, have clothes that uh, you don't want to wear anymore, you can donate it to those uh, shelters. And, and it's good for our society, for those that perhaps uh, um, don't have the income of others and, and they just need to uh, buy some clothes at a cheaper price. They go there and, and it's a nice thing to do. But, but the word here that they're lacking on mercy doesn't mean that. It wasn't that they weren't donating to those places anymore. What it was is that they were lacking in truly loving someone beyond that. Beyond just being nice to someone. They had left that out. They're, they're no longer there in the northern kingdom in Israel. They were no longer just showing love for people. They no longer had compassion for people. You say, well, what does that create? Let me tell you, it creates a self-centeredness in a life. 
When you have no truth, wickedness abounds. But when you have no mercy, selfishness abounds. Now, God says, I want you to understand, because of your lack of mercy, because there is no mercy, it's going to create in you the judgment of just having selfishness all the time. The natural outcome of lacking mercy is selfishness. That's why in order to help someone else, we must have love towards that person. Uh, whether it is a friend, whether it's family, or whether it's our enemy, you have to love someone. That's why Christ said, hey, love your enemies. He said, if they, if they ask you to go one mile, go a second mile. Why? Because of that word there has said. It means having mercy and compassion, having love for someone. Something that was lacking in the kingdom there that Hosea was giving the message to the people was, you know what, people? Yeah, you have all these nice things that you do. We have all these uh, outreaches of, of good and charitable works. But there's no love behind it. You're just doing this because this is what you do. When that happens, it creates a very self-centered life. A lack of love. Do you know that love is a very distinct characteristic, characteristic that is Christian? It's very distinct. You look at all, a lot of the other religions of the world, and they have a distorted view, if they even have the view of love in their religion. But love is something that is very distinct, very Christian. In fact, the word agape really wasn't in existence really till Christians came along. It was something that was to define them as something different, something that sets them apart. That's why Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, and now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. You see, that's, what, that's what's gonna make the difference. You know what God judges in the life of a person? A lack of mercy, a lack of love. That judgment makes that person become very selfish. And let me tell you something, that selfishness leaves you with no direction. None at all. The people began to be lost in where they were going. They had no more moral compass. No longer to the northern kingdom could they really distinguish between what was right and what was wrong. No longer could they really distinguish what was pleasing to God and what was not. What was not. Israel was losing their ability to guide the nations around them or even their own people. God had called them to be set apart, to lead all the other nations and to, to show them this is who God is. But Israel had come to a point where they don't even love the people around them. Heck, they didn't even love their own people. They were lacking in mercy and God's judgment brought them a self-centered nation, a selfish people to the detriment and to the point that they could no longer distinguish right from wrong. Years later, the prophet Isaiah would say, woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. That's the condition that Israel was in. I wonder this morning, if God were to look at his people today, 
the people of the church, the people that he has saved, the people that he has transformed, the people that he has called out of darkness into his marvelous light. I wonder if he would find mercy with his people. I wonder if he would find a people that come to church with the, with the heart of worshiping him, the heart of saying, I want to receive God's truth and I want to show God's mercy. Or if he would find a people that are saying, I wonder what they're going to do today. I wonder how they're going to entertain me this week. I wonder what the video is going to show or wonder what the songs are going to be. I wonder if I'll like them or not. And please don't misunderstand me. I'm not against good music. I, I think we have great music here. I'm not, great, I'm not against great videos. I think we ought to use the PowerPoints and the videos that we have. But my friend, when that takes the place of just loving people, then that's taken too high of a place in your life and in my life. When we think Christianity happens here on the pews on Sunday and not at work on Monday, that means we're lacking mercy in our life. And that's something that brings God's judgment. Something that, that brings not God's blessing in our life, but takes away God's blessing from our life. It brings selfishness into the church. It brings selfishness into the home. It brings selfishness into the lives of people. There's a very convicting question that comes as you study this, and it's, it's the question, what are you doing today to show someone else that you love them? Mom and dad, what are you showing your children that you love them? Hey, teacher, in the Sunday school or in the second hour, what are you doing for those kids that shows them that you love them? Oh, I have goodies every week. That's great. That's like the nice thing to do. That's what would be the obligation. But you see, the word has said, doesn't mean to just give goodies on a Sunday morning. It means to have true compassion and love. I mean, do you pray for them? Do you call them? Do you care about them at all? You see, Hosea reminded the people, hey, God judges a lack of truth. And God judges a lack of mercy. And I believe it's a message that we need to be reminded of today in 2018. As God's people today, I wonder if there's truth that we have not been giving. In other words, living a life of integrity. Living a life that is real. I wonder if there's a lack of mercy in our hearts towards the people of our city. A lack of mercy towards the people that live next door to us. Hosea says, look, as I look around and as I hear the word of the Lord, let me tell you people of Israel, you're lacking in truth and you're lacking in mercy. But then he says, but you're also lacking in the knowledge of God. Lacking in the knowledge of of God. It's the Hebrew word, the ath, which, which means knowledge. Now, knowledge has two sides of the coin, okay? Knowledge has the objective side and it has a subjective side. The objective side is this. It just means teaching, all right? Uh, what we teach inside this, what we learn from the Bible, what we learn here in the preaching, uh, that is the objective side 
of knowledge of God. God says, I, I want you to understand that uh, you should not kill and you should not steal and uh, that you should love your neighbor as yourself. These are all teachings and doctrines, okay? And God says, you, you need to know that about me. This is the knowledge of God. But then there's also a subjective side. That's the objective side, just normal teaching. But the subjective side is the personal experience that one has with God. It's a personal walk with God. You see, Israel was missing both. Sadly, if you read in verse uh, number four and verse number five, he said, yet let no man strive nor reprove another for thy people are as they that strive with the priest. Therefore thou shalt fall in the day and the prophet also shall fall with thee in the night and I will destroy thy mother. Basically, here's what the prophet is saying. He's using these, these quotes, if you will, to let them know, listen, the fact of the matter is because we've lost all knowledge of God, it's even hard to just say, okay, how are we going to correct this? It goes beyond saying, well, let's just get on Facebook and see who's doing what. No, that's, that's not the answer. He said, if we did that, we'd never end. There's too much. There's too much strife. You can't strive with one another because, listen, there's just too much. It's abounded way too much. This lack of knowledge is both objectively what the priests are teaching, what the people are living He says, it's just, it's so much there. He said, but what happens when there's a lack of God's knowledge in our life? When there is no objective knowledge of God and no subjective uh, knowledge of God, let me tell you something. First of all, you'll lose your distinction. You'll lose that which makes you different. Israel was to be a, a nation that was called out and different from all the nations of the world. They were set apart as God's chosen people to others and to show others God's love and God's law. But now they would be losing that distinction. They would no longer be a people chosen by God, but a people that are rejected by God. Look at verse number six. He said, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because it says they have rejected knowledge. And then he says, I will also reject thee. Yeah. Oh, pastor, does God actually reject people? Yes, he does. Well, that, that's not the God I, I, I know. I don't know if you know the God of the Bible. But the God of the Bible says, because you have rejected me, I will reject you. He said, and then I will forget the increase of thy children. You know what happens when we lack knowledge, we lose who we are. First uh, Peter chapter 1, 15 and 16, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. And God said, I want you people of Israel to be different, to be distinct. But you know, when you lose all knowledge of God, you lose that distinction. He says, you know what, then I'll reject you as well. You won't identify with me. I cannot identify with you. Not only do you lose your distinction, I want you to notice that you begin to promote sin. Sadly, the fault of the condition that the people of Israel were in fell directly on the shoulders of the priests. One thing that Hosea uh, tells the people, he said, you know what? Your priests are leading you wrong. 
They're leading you to worship a calf that really isn't God. Oh, you might call him whatever you want to call it. But you know, the first commandment says that you should not make any graven image before God. In other words, don't make God to be some image that you worship. God is a spirit and those that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. But the people of Israel, they didn't do that. And you know what they did by worshiping that calf and saying, this is our God now? They began to promote sin. And the priests, the priests began to accept it and promote it as well. You'll notice there in, in verse uh, number eight, it says, they eat up the sin of my people and they set their heart on their iniquity. You know who he's talking to there? He's talking to the priest. Do you know that the priest, when someone would come to give an offering, you know, they would sacrifice a lamb or they might sacrifice a bull. They would, they would cut that, uh, uh, the, the throat of the lamb and they would put that blood on the altar and they would, they would make that burnt offering. But the meat that was left over, that was what was left for the priest. That's how the priest would eat. That's how they would sustain themselves from the offerings that the people brought. Well, it got to the point in Israel that they were doing and uh, saying whatever the people wanted as long as they brought offerings. As long as you bring me the bull, as long as you bring me the ram, hey, as long as you keep my family fed and well uh, going that way, hey, you do whatever you want. You know, sadly, we're getting to that point in the church of God today. Sadly, we, we're getting churches now to, to move in a direction that does not please God at all. We got churches today that want to celebrate drinking like there's nothing wrong with it. That dancing is just something else that we do now. And if we're not careful as the people of God, we begin to promote those things that are not right. Do you know that the divorce rate is actually higher with members of church than it is outside? Statistically? Pastor, how does that come about? Because there's a lack of the knowledge of God. When you're lacking in the knowledge of God, you begin to promote sin. God said to the priests, I want you to give them my law. I want you to tell them what pleases me and what does not please me. But they got to the point where it was just all about them. They got so selfish in their idea of what they were doing in the priesthood that God said, you know what? I'm going to reject you as priest." In fact, later on there, God no longer used the Levites to bring the word of God, but he began to bring prophets. And then when the prophets began to get corrupted, God, God sent his son. It's amazing what happens when there's a lack of knowledge of God. You lose your distinction as a people. You begin to promote sin in the lives of others. And then lastly, what happens is you become spiritually empty. Verse 10 says, for they shall eat and not have enough. They shall commit whoredom and shall not increase because they have left off to take heed to the Lord. There's a lack of the knowledge of God. You become spiritually empty. Israel is now in a situation where they had nothing to give others. Now they themselves 
were not satisfied. The idea of they eat and have not been filled is that they were trying to do things in their life to fill a gap that only God can fill. And now, though they were bringing offerings and though they were doing all the rituals that religion asked them to do, they found no joy in it. They no longer found something of a, of a right walk anymore that just brought some joy into their heart. No longer. In fact, they would begin to seek but wouldn't find what they're looking for. They'd begin to call for answers but would find none. They'd begin to pray but nobody was listening. It was during the time of Hosea's ministry and he preached for 50 years. And near the end of those 50 years of preaching, the Assyrians came and took away the northern kingdom. You know, those 10 tribes never came back. The people of Judah went to Babylon and came back, but these 10 tribes that Hosea was preaching to, they never did. God said, because you've rejected me, I will reject you. You say, God is not a God that just lets us do whatever we want. God is a God that judges. He judges when there is a lack of truth. He judges when there's lack of mercy. He judges when there's a lack of knowledge with his people. Proverbs 1, verse 24 and on, and if you have your Bible, you can see it there. But I'll end with this passage in Proverbs chapter number 1. And starting in verse number tw uh, 24, God's word says, Because I have called, and ye refused. I have stretched out my hand, and no man regarded. But ye have set at naught all my counsel, and would none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh, when your fear cometh as a desolation and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind, when distress and anguish cometh upon you. Then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me. For that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would none of my counsel. They despised all my reproof. Therefore shall they eat of the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices. For the turning away of the simple shall slay them and the prosperity of fools shall destroy them. But whoso hearkeneth unto me shall dwell safely and shall be quiet from fear of evil. Do you know this morning God is our judge? You can only reject him for so long. I imagine that when the Assyrians came and they were a wicked people, when they were, the Bible says, for many of them, getting the pregnant women and putting a sword to their stomach and slaying the baby and then slaying the mom. When they were doing that, I imagine that the people were clamoring to God, God, help us, God, help us. But it was too late. God said, because you refused my counsel. He said, I will mock you. And I will laugh when your desolation and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind. This was his people. This morning, the reminder is simple. God is our judge. He judges a lack of truth and a lack of mercy. 
and a lack of knowledge of him. You say, well, pastor, what is the answer? What, what do we do? Oh, that's what I, Hosea chapter 6 is all about. I hope you'll come back next week because we're going to study Hosea chapter 6 and find that God is the answer. He's not just our judge. He's our advocate. He has what it is that you do before that destruction comes. God says, I, I know how, how I can bring you back. I know what the answer is. And it's him. This morning... Let's not pretend or think that God's love is too big to let sin go unpunished. Let's realize that God is a God of judgment as well as grace. God is our judge. He'll make no exception of persons. We must realize today that our judge, and as our judge, he cannot allow us to continue in sin. So the decision must be made today. The Bible says, he that seeth his sin must forsake it and shall find mercy. So the answer starts with repentance, so we're going to talk about that next week. God's grace comes as a result of turning to him. May we this morning find in him the grace that we need. May we be reminded that the decisions that we make this week ought to, make, ought to be decisions that show our love for people. They have an integrity to us. And the decisions that we make lead us closer to him, not away from him. May God help us do that today. Well, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Oh, Father, what a difficult message sometimes it is to hear. What a needed message it was in the kingdom of Israel just years before that judgment came. There was a prophet that reminded the people that the decisions that they were making wasn't going to lead to God's blessing, but away from God's blessing. And Father, that message is still clear today, that we, the church, as your people today, we need to live a life that would bring your blessing. Oh, Father, I pray that you would work in our hearts today. May your message be something that leads us to make decisions that would honor you. Oh, Father, may we have an abundance of truth, mercy, and knowledge of you in our life. May we be truly the light and the salt of the earth. Help us, fill us with your spirit. Help us to apply this truth into our lives this week. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. What a great challenge this morning. What a great truth from God's word this morning. If you would